Welcome to Farmland. Coming up on this evening's show, we meet the newly elected national president of Mochrana Firma, Thomas Duffy. IFA national treasurer, Tim Cullinan, will be here to talk pig price and food trends and what can be done to reduce dog attacks on farms. ICSA sheep chairman, Sean McNamara, will have his say. But first, the votes have been counted and the results are in for the national Mochrana Firma elections. Here's Siobhan Walsh's report from the Irish Farm Centre. The Mochrana Firma elections drew to a close on April 10th. Agriland followed the action as it happened at the count centre. Three positions were up for grabs. Gerard Mann was elected on the third count in Leinster. Sean Wallace was elected on the first count in Munster. And Fergus O'Rourke was elected on the first count in the North West. Agriland spoke to all three vice president-elects after the count. Yeah, look, it's it's a big shock, Siobhan. Um, the final result was 21-15. It, it's come as a massive shock, to be honest with you. But I suppose, look, at, I want to thank Shane for an honest and fair campaign. And I suppose in particular, I want to thank my f- family, friends and supporters for travelling the neck and breadth of the northwest over the last number of months there's been a big effort put in and thankfully it has come to fruition today within the first year i hope to get around on every club at least one meeting per year to try and see what's happening on the ground because ultimately it's a member driven organization and i think we must never forget that so that will be central to my vice presidency will be the member oh i'm delighted um, no that was that was three tough months of it so i'm delighted at the work that myself and i think there was 30 odd people traveled to the province with me over the last three months i'm delighted that the work has paid off the the main goal that i have during my two years as vice president is to increase the number of active members within munster so be that either by bringing in new members or getting existing members active in different areas of the organization the, get, getting more people doing more activities that's that, that's the goal I suppose a very important part of the job is communicating from the national level of the organisation down to the members I know that's partially the role of the NCR partially the role of, of the president but I think it's very much in the, in the remit of the vice president um, on top of that Dean look there's supporting clubs on the ground like you know the, we, we have a limited number of staff we have a limited number of volunteers that can't make every single club or county event around the place so i think the vp should be there to support them and provide assistance where they can it's a it was a massively well fought uh, election it was very very tight at the end and just delighted to get across the line you know and i have to pay tribute to the other three candidates in it as well to put up a massive fight so to win by one vote certainly certainly nerve-wracking and just look delighted to, delighted to be across the line now Look, member development is a major issue from here on, you know, there'll be a lot of focus on that. I'll be out meeting members and meeting clubs and counties and, and listening to what they have to say and where we go from here and trying to develop members. But as you say, I've, I've also been chair of the Rural Youth Committee and that will certainly be a key issue for me going forward. Rural Ireland has certainly been left behind and I think it's something that needs to be focused on, you know, and I'll be working alongside the, the presidential team to ensure that, that the, the uh, voice of Rural Ireland is heard. Look, I think the, the, the elephant in the room really is Brexit, you know. Um, nobody knows what way it's going to go, um, but it, it's certainly a challenge for, for rural Ireland, for farming. and There's, there's other challenges as well. The, rural, the urban-rural divide, I suppose, has grown over the past number of years, you know. And I seen a report yesterday, actually, in relation to the property industry where there's 130 cranes in the air in, in Dublin and there's only three outside of Dublin. So, you know, it shows a, it shows a massive divide that's there and I think we, we certainly need to focus on that and ensure that 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 um, investment in Dublin is spread outside of the, the area as well, you know. 
We're joined now by Thomas Duffy, the newly elected national president of Mochrana Firma. Thomas, thanks very much for coming into us straight from the count. Uh, Thomas, can you just tell us a little bit about your own background, your involvement in Mochrana Firma and what it means to you now to hold this position? Thanks very much, Claire. Um, I'm incredibly proud and, and uh, delighted to, to, be, uh, to be the next president of Mochrana Firma. Uh, I'll be taking office from May in 2019 to 2021, 20, uh, uh, succeeding uh, James Healy, who's done an absolutely excellent job as, as president. Uh, my background, I'm from a, a 95 dairy cow unit that I farm in partnership with my father, uh, Ned, and my mother, Kathleen. Uh, we farm quite close to the Mead Cabin border, uh, near enough Virginia and County Cabin for people might recognise that. Um, I suppose in Mokra, uh for the last 10 years, um, it's been an incredibly huge part of my life. Um, I've held roles at club and, and county levels uh, as the Young Farmers Chairman. Um, at uh, national level, I was elected as, as National Council Rep for Calvin. Uh, I served as the Vice Chair of the Ag Affairs Committee uh, for two years. I've been a member of the Board of Directors for the past two years, and I've actually been the, the Chairman of the Board for the past year uh, before the election today. I suppose now for the next two years, Mocker is going to be my, my full-time um, my full-time commitment and working for the benefit of, of young farmers and, and rural youth as a whole. Steeped in the organisation, Thomas. Um, Thomas, what was unusual, I suppose, about the election campaign uh, for yourself was that you ran unopposed um, and not since 2007 with Catherine Buckley, the first female president of Mockern Firma, um, have we been in that situation. Um, what does that say to you about the organisation? Were you surprised that you were the only one running for it? Um, I suppose I, I wasn't. I wasn't overly surprised. Uh, there was a couple of factors that that kind of influenced it. Uh, I suppose the first thing that people have asked me, you know, what does it mean for the leadership of the organisation? Um, and when we look at the VPs races, every single one of those were contested in the three regions: uh, in Munster, Leinster, and the Northwest. We have an incredibly intense competition in Munster between three candidates, uh, four candidates in Leinster, which is which shows the level of potential leadership there is, and two in the Northwest, very two two very strong candidates there as well. So I suppose. Uh, the question about the future leadership of the organisation, it's pretty clear that there are, we are still doing a job of developing our leaders and developing good people to lead the organisation. I suppose it was, uh, it was just happenstance that the, the way that it happened. I think maybe some of the people who were potential for leadership for whatever personal reasons, maybe were not able to run. As I say, it's not completely unheard of. Catherine Going was elected on the, on the uh, sorry, Catherine Buckley was elected um, unopposed as well. Um, I suppose going forward, uh, I would suspect that we will not see an uncontested race again for quite some time um, because there is the quality of candidates coming forward there. And, and Thomas, we'll just get on to your, your priorities that you're going to be focusing on in a second. But there was a little bit of confusion as well earlier um, about a, a, a vote that mm. whether it was eligible or ineligible. Um, can you, and you just wanted to clarify something there. Yeah, so there was there was, a, there was a small clerical error which added to a little bit of confusion. But in actual fact, that ballot was completely valid. The club was completely registered. So there, there actually was no issue, but there was a little bit of confusion about, about that. Uh, it was just to do with an update on, on a database system. But in actual fact, everything was uh, in accordance with our rules and the ballots were completely valid. Uh, so, Thomas, look, you're coming in, you're taking the mantle over from James Healy um, this May. You're coming in to agriculture to represent young farmers at a really, really challenging, turbulent time. You've got Brexit, you've got the common agricultural reform. Um, what are the key priorities and the key issues that you're going to campaign on 
on behalf of young farmers. So I suppose when, when I'm asked this question, I normally like to break it down into to two separate. There's the immediate issues that we're going to have to address very, very quickly. And then there's sometimes longer term ones that can often be overlooked. But as a, as a young farmers organization and as a rural youth organization, uh, we fill both those roles we have to look, take the longer term view as well because many of our members are going to be farming for the next 30 to 50 years. Um, I suppose on that, the most immediate issue is probably Brexit. Um, ultimately, the UK will will do whatever it is that, that they feel best for their, for their country. Uh, what we need to ensure is that the proper supports are put into place to counteract any issues with the trade between ourselves and the UK and any loss of sales. Um, and on that, Mocker is going to be as part of CJA in, in uh, the European uh, in Brussels, um, we are going to be fighting very, very hard to ensure that all the, the proper supports are put in place so that farmers are not made to suffer for what is a political change. Uh, and also to give us time to, I suppose, find new markets and to overcome any, any uh, impact. Uh, personally, I don't want to see a, a no-deal Brexit, um, but ultimately that's beyond the control of a, a young farmers organisation to decide. Uh, I know, Thomas, you have a lot of, you'll have to get into all those briefs yet. Um, so also, Thomas, like you're from a dairy background, um, as you mentioned. In Mocker, there's a lot of uh, part-time uh, young farmers in beef and in suckler as well. Um, what are you going to do to, to kind of meet the ambitions for the young farmers in all those different sectors on the dairy side um, and on the dry stock side? I suppose the, the one thing I would say is what concerns me a lot in the in the narrative lately has been uh, an attempt to divide beef and dairy farmers and to turn them on each other. And in reality, that doesn't benefit either sector. No sector can, neither of these sectors can survive without each other. They're completely co-independent. And I can understand because a lot of beef farmers feel that they're being dismissed or undermined or uh, seen as irrelevant by some of the comments, uh, very un, uh, uneducated comments about, uh, you know, from some of the dairy representatives and, and from some of the voices in the dairy sector. Uh, at the same time, we see what's happening with, say, the, the likes of uh, calf, uh, calf exports at the moment. That's a very vulnerable trade, and it is something that we need a proper developed uh, move towards a more sustainable uh, dairy beef sector. Um, in terms of our suckler sectors, which are, which are quite vulnerable, particularly as a result of Brexit. But also, we can't see them being made as a scapegoat for issues such as climate change. Um, we need we need to have a proper adult conversation. The suckler sector produces the best quality, the highest grades of beef, and they need to be properly rewarded for that from for that work. Um, but there isn't a there's an artificial divide coming, I think, between uh, calf rearers and suckler farmers. In reality, many of the, the the really good young beef farmers I know don't see any any divide. They're working on both sides of that. Some of them will have suckler cows and will also rear calves and you know out of season. They're building up to ensure that they have the maximum profitability for their farm. Uh, Thomas, we're almost out of time and I know we'll definitely have you back in again over over uh, your tenure at Makra. Uh, but just finally look at 75 years uh, that Makra is celebrating this year. Um, how relevant is the organisation today compared to 75 years ago um, from an, a young farmer and from a, a rural social fabric point of view? I think it's, it's disturbing to me in some ways that um, many of the challenges that was faced 75 years ago by young farmers are still the key challenges that are faced um, by young farmers today. I mean, we, we look at 
75 years ago, there was issues of processing, there was issues of education. Those are issues that Mocker has fought very, very hard to try and, and progress, and we have. But obviously the requirements are moving forward the entire time. Uh, young farmers need to be better educated than ever. They, they are using new technologies. They're, they're advancing at a pace that, that Mocker has actually, through its SkillsNet program, uh, been continuing to do that. Competition for land is still one of the key issues uh, with Mocker's Land Mobility Service, which was developed um, a few years ago. That's been an incredible success in moving that forward. But also in terms of our trade with the UK, uh, 75 years ago that was a key thing and now we're still talking about it now. But there are there are new challenges too that Mocker is going to, to move up to the plate. So we need to be a proper voice on, on uh, rural youth as well as, as young farmers. Uh, for our young farmers' point of view, you know, issues like climate change weren't talked about 75 years ago, but Mocker wants to be the voice on that and in terms of of improving the conversation between farmers to ensure that that farmers are both uh, given a just transition, but also that uh, you know that that our, our sector isn't unfairly labelled, and that that the supports are put into place in order to allow us to make those changes. Thomas, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much, and congratulations again on the new role. Thanks very much. Now, pig trade. Um, how are prices looking at the moment? Here's Breffney O'Brien's report. Last week, we visited Sean and Darren Brady's Hyde Park pig farm in Caloocan, County Westmead. Darren Brady, the farm's manager, explained the system that is in place on the farm. We're running a 700 sow unit here at the minute, fully integrated from start to finish. Sows are farrowing every, every day of the year, 365 days. We, we keep them in the farmhouse for four weeks, and then they're in the first stage wieners for another four, second stage wieners for four, and then they're finished then for 12 weeks then. We wean on a Thursday, and so our their their sows are served on a, on the following Monday. So that system then that means that most of our farmers sows farrow down on the Thursday, and over the weekend then. So we we work uh, every second weekend on and off. So there's four of us here full time, two and two split. Uh, so two of us work one weekend, and the other two work the following one. I suppose the genetics now have gone, have improved big time in the, over the over the past few years. Uh, our genetics here, we're running a Danish Duroc uh, mix, um, and the performance is, is 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 picking up every every week. You can see a difference in the in the in the born alive, for instance, and and the the, the food conversion ratios for the for the finishers and stuff is is, is all a big improvement. Well, we run a liquid feed system for all the sows, so from dry sow and in the far in the lactating sow as well is all uh, li wet feed, and then everything else uh, from first stage weaners then on. Is dry feed system, so it's uh, running uh, fed through wet dry feeders. We find it works well. We get good, good performance from the from the dry feed, and um, it's a it's 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 a very simple system. It's just ad lib feed in the feeder the whole time, and a simple auger runs in the feed into the into the feeder, and it's very very simple and basic. Darren explained that pig price has been enduring a historic low for over a year now, but said farmers are optimistic the prices will rise this year. Yeah, we're just coming off the back of a very tough 18 months, I suppose. We were hit with uh, the lower pig price and then also with last year's high increase in meal. Uh, as Meal is about over 70% of the cost here on this, this unit and it's, uh, any, any increase in meal at all is, is a big, has a big effect on the bottom line, you know. Um, we were lucky in a sense that uh, we, got to, we got to increase maize levels. Maize, maize was, uh, was a cheap, cheap, cheaper option than some of the other straights and uh, it got, got to increase them levels up and it put a cap on the, on the meal, the, the, the increase in the meal. So yeah, we're working below, below the cost of production. Uh, we were getting less money for the pigs than, than what it was costing us to produce. So 
the outlook is looking positive for for this year anyway. Um, they've got a price increase there last week on and the week before, and and um, things are looking up. Things are looking positive for for the year ahead. Uh, I suppose China is a big big topic, hot topic at the minute. Uh, they got hit with African swine fever, and they've a lot. Of their herd is after being cold, so uh, they're, they're they're sending out a lot of meat out to China now, and the, the, the hopefully will drive the price up further again. He noted that in Ireland, biosecurity when entering and exiting pig farms is of utmost importance. Crucial important to keep to have high biosecurity protocols in place, keep disease out. Um, it's just we we have we just have to limit who who we let onto the unit. Uh, Give everyone boots and and overalls and, and 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 stuff like that, and just make sure they haven't been with pigs over the last five days or working week. Darren expressed his disappointment at retailers when it was revealed in recent months that some Irish supermarkets were selling imported pork meats. Yeah, it was difficult difficult to take now uh, after after such a difficult year working working so hard for very little return over the past eight months to see that that meat coming in very cheap and being sold on the sh- Irish shelves. But look at. We're very confident in the Board Bia logo um, that it works and the IFA are doing good work as well, testing the meat on the shelves and in the service industries and stuff like that, testing the DNA, testing it to make sure it's Irish. We're joined now by Tim Cullinan, the National Treasurer of the IFA and pig farmer from North Tipperary. Tim, thank you very much for coming in to us. You're welcome, Claire. Um, Tim, it's been a particularly tough year for pig farmers um, over the last 18 months or so. Now, price has picked up um, in the last couple of weeks. Um, down in Moneygall this week, the IFA held a meeting and you're calling for a, a specific upper limit to be put on price at the moment to, to continue uh, the upwards trend. Uh, what is it you're looking for? Absolutely. Look, I made a claim in Mundigal on Monday night, Claire, you're right, we had a packed room down there and I believe that we need to get uh, pig prices up to two euros a kilo. And I think it's it's more than justified at the moment because if you look at where the European price has gone in the last number of weeks, it has climbed to 173 today and we're at an average of 150 to 153 at the moment. There's a huge gap after rising there. And I suppose, look, I'm basing this on the back of what's happening in Asia at the moment, in particular in China, where there has been a huge loss of pigs on the ground in, in China due to African swine fever disease. Like, we're getting reports that there could be anything up to 13 to 15% of the national herd actually destroyed out there at the moment. And China produces 50% of the world pig meat. So if you put that in context, that's six to seven percent of world production. And so that's a massive uh, decrease in production. Normally, if you take it, if you get a two percent reduction, you know, it makes a difference whether you have a, a boom or bust situation. So based on that and based on what I'm hearing on the ground at the moment, that uh, retailers and um, the food service sector are are paying substantially more for the product they're getting at the moment. So look, everybody's getting a price increase. Like we have received te- 10 cent of a price increase in the past number of weeks, but it's not enough to compensate. So that's clear. I think you're very well aware of where we're coming from. Like last year was a disastrous year for pig farming. Farmers lost anything up to 14 euros per pig in the last year. And that came about because of low pig prices and also higher feed costs due to the weather situation in 2018. 
it's it's quite it's, it's quite a serious situation if you look at the just even at the numbers of pig farmers in Ireland at the moment it's around 350 obviously there was a stage where there were thousands of pig farmers in Ireland but in terms of the viability of the future of the sector it is at quite a serious point at the moment Right, Claire. Like I remember when I was growing up, everybody had five to ten thousand in, in in the backyard. But look, that system has changed. Pig farming in Ireland has become very commercial. But look, we've been losing farmers over the years, and we're at a juncture now. You know, if we don't see a price increase, that we could lose more pig farmers, and the industry would become unsustainable. But look, the fight is on. I mean, we've been we've been fighting campaigns to maintain the pig industry in Ireland for a long number of years now. And if you just look at the figures, in 2009, approximately 30% of Irish pig meat was quality assured at retail level. So that was Irish pig meat was being sold at retail level. Today, because of campaigns we've ran over the years and, and the introduction of a DNA scheme back a number of years ago, that figure now is almost at 80%. So we've done a lot of work from a farmer point of view. We've done a lot of work to sustain and maintain the industry. So now, look, it's time for the... The other the industry, the processing side, to to come on board now as well and and help sustain the industry as well. And could you have held quite a number of snap protests in supermarkets? People will be familiar over the last number of months. Um, again, on the sourcing of the of the pygmy products in in some of the sup, in super value that was at the time. Um, so you are you're you're keeping a very very watchful eye. Um, on the supermarket shelves at the moment. And it is, I suppose, creating a lot of public awareness around uh, the origins of our food. Um, you're also interested, I believe, in the on the food service side, that you think that action is needed there um, in terms of when we go into um, into just the local shops or in at the deli and you're, you're ordering whatever meat you want in your sandwich and where is that meat coming from as well? Absolutely, Claire. You're right. We had a number of snap protests during last summer because of where the situation was then. And there was cheap um, Dutch pig meat coming into the country at that point in time. So we rectified that by highlighting it at, at retail level. And you're right. I think where we need to move to now is the food service sector. Because you know, as, as you're aware, consumer trends have changed and a lot of people are eating on the go now. And there's a vast amount of our food, all foods, not just pig meat, you take lamb, beef, chicken, is being sold at the food service deli counters. And I think we need to zone in on that and, and, and we need to check out the origin of that meat as well. And I think that's a job of work that we have started. You may have noticed that we were in Moneygall the other night, which is a, one of those um, food service outlets as well. And we are building a campaign around that at the moment. And what will that campaign involve? What will it, what will it entail? Specifically, what are you going to do I suppose to tackle that issue? Where we will start out on a campaign is we will go and meet the, the individuals involved and explain to them the value of the Irish food sector, not just the pig sector, but our, our beef and our lamb and, and all our, our food sectors in Ireland and explain to them, you know, we need support, we need buy-in from everybody to use Irish pig meat, because obviously your best market, Claire, is your local market. You know, it's, it's, it, the best return is on it. I know we export 90% of our beef, but if that, like every percent that we can get into the whole market is, is a help. And Tim, there's a lot of talk recently about the consumer trends on eating meat. And, you know, there is some the concern that maybe people won't be eating as much meat into the future. And I suppose the trends in maybe towns and cities 
are are bearing fruit on that and um, so is that a concern for yourselves just the dietary habits that change that people not maybe not consuming enough meat as much meat into yeah. the future look uh claire i'm not a nutritionist but the one thing i do know everything eaten in proportion drawn we all need to eat meat i think look people will always eat, eat meat so I, I get very concerned when you see bodies that's not involved in the food industry commenting on what people should eat. I think that's such as absolutely Antashka. I think I think that's not the remit. Like there's lots of government agencies that, that do look at people's diet. In fairness, you have Borbia there that do an excellent job in promoting meat. And I think it should be left to the people involved. Mm-hmm. And but do you acknowledge though? Do you accept that the dietary habits may change? And the, you know, does you're you're obviously a representative of one of the farm organizations. Do the farm organizations need to maybe accept that the dietary habits may change as well into the future? Look, as I said already, like the people's eating habits have changed over the years. Like the day of having your three or four meals at home around the kitchen table has changed. A lot of people, as I said, are eating on the go. Probably look, the diet, dietary habits will change, but I, I do believe people will still eat. Um, lots of dairy and meat products going forward. Absolutely. Uh, Tim, just finally, I can't let you go without asking. There's some speculation out there that you may be in the running for the presidency of the IFA when the elections come around uh, towards the end of the year. Are you interested in putting your, your hat in the ring for look, the Claire, national the presidency? First thing I want, uh, the first thing I want to say, look, I've been asked this question now on numerous occasions. And look, I am very busy in my position in IFA at the moment. No, I'm involved in, as national treasurer, but I'm also involved at, at senior level in IFA. And if you look what's happening out there at the moment, we have a serious beef livestock crisis out there at the moment. And like we don't know what news we're going to have before this week is out on the Brexit. So look, my energies are around those things at the moment. But yes, I am very interested in, in, in looking at uh, the presidency going forward. But that's late. That's for later in the year. Okay, sure. We'll follow up with you again on that, Tim. Thanks very much for coming in to us. Thanks, Claire. Um, so next, um, EID tagging. It remains a serious bone of contention for sheep farmers around the country. Here's a report from Breffney O'Brien. Recently, Agriland visited Calvin sheep farmer John Hewitt to hear how lambing is going this season and to get a farmer's opinion on new sheep tagging regulations being implemented. My name's John Kewitt and Caribbean Cavern and uh, keep over a hundred yokes here and lucky cattle and but eighty acres of land and yeah, we're on everything Charlie and Texel and Suffolk and Beltex and Rouge. John lambs most of his yokes early in the year. However, he has a second group of hoggets that will be lambing around mid April. He noted that they were introduced to the ram slightly later in the year to allow them to mature. Sponge a hundred yokes and eighty seven of them held and we lambed them in January. And 40 or 50 more to lamb in April. He prefers to lamb his yoes as early as possible in the year and explained that he does this for two reasons. Firstly, to have his lambs ready for the Easter market when prices tend to be higher than other times of the year. And secondly, as John also works part-time as an agri-contractor, to have the task of lambing the yoes complete when machinery work on land commences in mid-spring. Um, we do a lot of work on the county spreading slowly in the springtime and February and March just doesn't suit them. Give them four months and anyway, I hope you have lambs for Easter, yeah. yeah. I actually get a few pounds more for the Easter lamb, man. First weekend in January, they started lambing. They're all lambing before the end of January. Went very well. But I kept, kept 40 old lambs from last year on. They all held them. We're lambing them in April now. 
John outlined that he has concerns about the feasibility of EID tagging in the Irish sheep industry. His concerns have been matched by many other farmers who are in doubt as to the benefits of an electronic tagging system for sheep. So there's three, four different types of tags in. I don't know, it's all wrong. I don't know. It doesn't make much sense like putting a tag on one fifty in the rear and going up the road a couple of hours after and it's ripped out of the rear. It doesn't it's not much sense with no. So they're only thirty five cents before this like so it's not it doesn't make much sense. I don't think you know. Sean McNamara, the Sheep Committee Chairman of the ICSA, has joined us now. Sean, thanks for coming in to us. You're quite welcome, Claire. Sean, just to start the uh, lambing season now, I know we're near the tail end of it, everybody's finishing up, but was it a good season compared to other years? It was a very good season this year. People had no bother lambing. Was, the weather just suited the lambing. Like other years, like last year, when the snow came in March, we lost a lot of lambs to it. And it's just it was an exceptional good year. I haven't seen it in the last 10 years, it's a good year. And what about the trade in general, uh, Sean? I know things are kind of picking up a little bit at the moment, but that hasn't been the case for the last couple of months. Is Brexit already impacting? Uh, the trade at the moment is picking up. Before this, with Brexit coming in, the northern farmers was dumping lambs with us for at least two or three months before I had to get rid of the lambs before Brexit. And it was driving down the price for us for our lambs um, but at the moment there's very little lambs left in the north or hoggets and the price is going up and what you when you're saying there about brexit you know we still don't know about the outcome yet if it is a no deal if it's a hard brexit um how would that impact on the trade here i predicted that if there was a no deal um, and a hard border uh, there'd be no lambs coming down. It would we would get probably more for our lambs for the time being, but some of the factories would have to close for the simple reason is there wouldn't be enough of lambs for all the factories that's there to kill lambs. I'd say that that's the way it would be. If there was a hard if there was a hard border, yeah. And if there is a deal? If there is a deal, lambs will still keep coming down to the north and probably there'll be competition for us again and they'll keep down the price of our lambs. That's the way it happens every year anyway. Um, Sean, a big issue in the last couple of months has been dog attacks. They've been quite significant uh, dog attacks on flocks uh, throughout the country. Um, what's the solution to that issue and what is the ICSA doing about it? Well, it's very hard to give a solution to that uh, topic because the simple reason is a lot of dogs, people has not them chipped. When you do get the dogs and all and shoot them um, on your farm, when you go to trace back the dog, there's no chip in them. So you can't tell who owns the dog. I think there should be people should be made compulsory chip all dogs. And another thing I'd warn people is when they're going to work in the morning, at least put in their dogs. Don't have them running around the country and attacking sheep and getting up more dogs attacking sheep. Like I had a big sheep attack a year ago myself and I know all about it. And what happened, Sean? I got forty years killed with, with with dogs last year. And um even the dog attacked my own daughter when she went out to get to run the dogs and the sheep, one particular dog came for her. And only from your own dog attacked that dog, he'd have he'd have attacked her. So that's the sort of dogs you have going around. And what about public awareness? Are the public um are, do they are they aware that this is happening, of the potential of this? If if you have a dog um at your at home and you're surrounded by farms, 
you know, are the general public who aren't involved in farming aware of the threat that's there and the temptation, I suppose, that's there? I don't think so. They just go to work in the morning, allow the dog, forget about and dog may do harm during the day to come back and even the dog is sitting outside the door again for them. So I don't think they're aware of what's happening. And Sean, when you mentioned there about your own story, you had um, a huge attack there there last year. What about the impact of that on you, like inside the farm gate? How did that impact? Well, at that stage, I was saying to myself, well, I keep a cheap, I will have went to the area. I was that, I didn't know, frustrated with Like we lost, it wasn't alone that yours I was killed. It was all the abortions and everything we had afterwards over the dog attack. And because they were stressed. They were stressed. So like we, between the snow and the whole lot, we'd very, we ended up with a very bad couple of lambs out of the whole lot. The worst year ever we had. So, and we were predicting myself, I have a young lad with me, and we were predicting whether we were going to go dairy or not. And we decided we'd just keep it a sheep. For, we'd give it one more year. And if it didn't work, then we'd change our system. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, the, the lambing season has been good this year. The trade is picking up. But another big problem is the EID tags. That's been a huge, a very, very contentious issue for sheep farmers all over the country because they have to bring in this compulsory tagging system um, for the marts and factories. But yet the, the marts and the factories, um, it's, it's voluntary for them whether they want to bring in the technology to read the tags. Um, look, the marts have brought it in now at the moment that you need the tags uh, for going to the marts since March. How is that impacted on the ground? What are your members saying? My members are saying that um, there's no need of EID tagging for the simple reason is that we, with the compulsory tag, we have the best uh, system in Europe for traceability. So there's no real need. It's an extra cost in farmers. Chagas tells us that it's 14 euros profit per per lowland lamb, I don't want is in a hill lamb, but per lowland lamb is 14 euros profit. At 1.27 for the tags, that's equivalent to 7% of our income. So no one wants to see it. It's if the mass, the mass don't want to see it either for the simple reason, they have to put in readers, they have to give us a printout, and that's extra work for the mass. The factories are saying that they may do it, uh, but they don't want to read 100% of the lambs, which we say if they don't read 100% of the lambs, it's not, it's not lambs aren't traceable. They have to read 100% of the lambs. Because the reason this system is being brought in is to improve traceability. That's the line coming from government on yeah. this. So you you contend that. Yeah, because they, what the factories is telling us. They won't read 100% of the lambs. They won't give us a readout. We still have to do our dispatch docket. So it's still the one paperwork for us, maybe more, but the fact is has to do nothing. There again. And you, you mentioned there the long-term implications, particularly on March, because this is extra admin, extra resources, and extra cost on the sheep farmer. And um, so the possible long-term outcomes of this could be detrimental. It could for a simple reason is that the marts, people will not go to the marts, they go straight to the fact and said there'd be less competition for lambs. When people go straight, the fact is they know they get all the lambs and there'll be less competition for lambs, so that's the way it'll work out. So what's the solution then, Sean? What What is the ICSA doing? I know you have some protests on this earlier last year. Yes, the ICSA says that uh, EID tagging should be scrapped. Uh, the minister should pay back any farmer that has bought these EID tags. Um, and if they want EID tags, the fact is sh- should put in readers and give us a printout and and, and read 100% of the lambs, not 30%, not 40%, 100%. And, 
And who should foot the bill? Who should foot, who should pay? I think the factory should pay for the bill because simple reason they want they want that system in. We don't. Sean, we'll leave it there. We're out of time. Thanks very much right, for thanks, coming up to us. Yeah. And thanks very much to all our guests for joining us. That's all we have time for this evening. If you have a story and you, you can reach out to us on any of our platforms, we'll be back again next week. See you then. Thank you.